This is Dollars and Change, a podcast about the intersection of business and social impact. Brought to you by the Wharton Social Impact Initiative. Welcome to Dollars and Change. This is Catherine Klein. I am the Vice Dean for Social Impact at Wharton, and I'm delighted today to be speaking with Robin Ely and David Thomas. Robin is a professor at Harvard Business School, and she's also the faculty chair of the Harvard Business School Gender Initiative. And uh, David is the president of Morehouse College. He's also professor emeritus at Harvard Business School and the former dean of the Georgetown University's McDonough School of Business. So David and Robin, thanks so much for joining me today. I was really fascinated to see the the title of your recent article, and I want to dig into this topic. The title of your article is Getting Serious About Diversity, Enough Already with the Business Case. Enough Already with the Business Case. So, Robin, let me turn to you. Can you tell us what is the typical business case for diversity? When we refer to that, what are the claims that people make? when they say there's a business case for diversity? And then we'll talk about why you say enough already. Yeah, sure. So I, I think that the main kind of most simple form of the business case, um, and we, you know, we hear it all the time, is that the more um, race uh, and or gender diversity you have in your organization, the better your organization is going to perform financially. That's, that's the kind of basic business case. And that, there are variations around that, um, that, uh, you know, make other kinds of claims for other sorts of outcomes. But I think the main one is this, is this idea that if the more diversity you have, the better your firm is going to perform financially. Right. And, and you're right. We hear this all the time. Uh, and yet you all are saying enough already. Uh, and I know, I think I know some of the reasons why you're saying enough already. Let's talk about that. David, <laughs> why enough already with a business case? Well, enough already with the business case, because in many ways, um, that case lets leadership off the hook. Because it doesn't speak directly to the fact that uh, the conditions that that diversity encounters in the organization is actually what determines whether it will positively or negatively influence, uh, performance, and even more so what impacts long-term performance, which is thing, you know, which has to do with things like, um, when a team performs at time one, what's the psychological residue that's left? And we know that it's, if it's a, if it's negative, even if they performed well in time one, at time two, they're likely to show decrements in performance because people have left, people are depressed, people don't feel valued, et cetera, et cetera. And then I think the other side of it is, uh, for me, work organizations are actually the most diverse places on the planet. Mm. More diverse than where we live, more diverse than where we worship, more diverse than where we shop. And so what we do inside of organizations is exported back into our community. And if the only case for diversity is a bottom line business case, I think it lets us walk away from 
uh, the role that organizations play in shaping the broader dynamics in our society. Um, and, you know, in the first part of that, my, you know, Robin and my very early work on this topic shows that it's not a direct correlation between diversity and performance, but it's moderated by the conditions in the organization. And I think at least my subsequent work and emphasis also has really made me aware of the broader impact that how organizations manage diversity in communities impacts what happens in those communities. Right. So you said a whole lot. So uh, there's a, there's a whole lot to unpack there. Um, and, uh, and maybe I'll, I'll add a few points and, and, uh, um, and, and start to unpack that and, and then turn to you, Robin. Um, I think one of the things you said, David, in that, like, what's wrong with the business case is that it's, it's simplistic. And, and, and Robin, perhaps you'll, you can talk in a moment about you know, what the research evidence says on this, which, which reinforces the notion that the, you know, this is a very simplistic argument to say, have diversity, we'll get better financial performance. And I think you know, part of what you're, you're saying, David, is have diversity might, if that diversity brings, um, I mean, the way I think about that is, have diversity might get better business performance if having this diversity brings you more cognitive variety, more viewpoints, more knowledge, more connections that are business relevant and that you listen to, that you hear, that you use, right? So people, you bring in different people, they know different things, they have different contacts, um, they have different values, you hear them out, you incorporate that, you make better business decisions, maybe you'll get better financial performance. The thing I would add, Catherine, is, and if leadership has created the conditions where people feel authorized and empowered to bring that difference to the table. Right. If, if people feel authorized to bring that to the table, that is because they know their ideas will be listened to, that their ideas and input will get a fair hearing. Right. And, and they take that signal from the leadership. That's why I say the business case for diversity, simply put, uh, takes leaders off the hook. And I think what Robin and I have tried to do in our work is put leaders on the hook. Robin, I'd like you to say a little bit more about the research evidence because, and, and then we'll continue to dig into the complexity and these issues around leadership. But Mm -hmm. Talk to us about the, the research evidence, because this the notion that there is a business case for diversity is stated so often that I think listeners and readers will be thinking, Fine, of course, there's a business case. We know this research shows it. Mm -hmm. What does research show? Well, research um, shows, and I, I would say most of this research is not, not done by scholars, um, but it shows a correlation between race or gender diversity in various parts of the organization. So one of the main findings that we often hear is, um, you know, the amount, of, the, the amount of diversity you have in the board, in the boardroom. It is correlated with firm performance, but, um, but it's actually not causal. And so these, these um, studies don't control for things that are causing both the increase in diversity 
and the increase in performance, like, for example, the industry or maybe the firm size, that kind of thing. So it's just it's a core. It's the kind of a very basic problem of inferring causality from correlation. Um, and I, I think it's appealing well for lots of reasons. But um, but, you know, I mean, I think people want to believe it and they can make up a, a, a narrative in their heads that makes sense of that correlation in a causal way. But it actually doesn't show that 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 isn't what the research shows. And then the carefully done studies that take a look at those correlations and do the appropriate controls and, you know, look at things longitudinally, um, it, it turns out that most of those uh, studies, I think virtually all of them, especially the ones that are meta-analyses, so they look across many studies, the conclusion is that there's actually no relationship uh, right. between those two things. So that's, that's the empirical story. Um, I think the other uh, or another problem with it is this idea about financial performance. Um, so I, there is some evidence to show that under certain conditions, and that's what David was talking about, and really where our work has um, most emphasized, like what are the conditions that enable diversity to actually have a positive impact on some outcome we care about? Those findings are not typically outcomes having to do with financial performance. They have to do with things like um, more innovation, more creativity, uh, you know, people feel better, those, those kinds of outcomes, um, you know, which, which may or may not produce, uh, you know, bottom line financial performance outcomes. I mean, it depends on, uh, you know, really how, how proximal those, uh, mm-hmm. you know, those processes are to the, to, to the outcome that you're looking at when you're looking at the financial performance. And usually they're not that proximal. There's a, a long distance from, the the composition of the team, just who's on the team to financial performance. And true at the board level too. I mean, you know, really, I mean, can you, do you really think that switching out two or three white men for a couple of white women or a few people of color is really going to have an impact on the bottom line performance of a firm? Like that doesn't make sense. And by the way, it's not true. <laughs> <laughs> and, and by the way, it's not true. And to be very clear, I think it's also important when we talk about the, you know, the, uh, is there a business case for putting women on the board? I, I think it's important to say, well, no, but to be very, very clear, there's no business case for putting men on the board, right? It's exactly. That there's, there's not a business case that is tied right. to specifically to people's gender. Uh, exactly. Right. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. What else would you say about what you think about is problematic with the business case? Because, you know, as we've discussed, this is very widespread. Uh, people believe it. And yet you think it's um, important to to not not promulgate this idea. Um, is it, as you as David has said, because this lets leaders off the hook or are there other issues and dynamics here that that you think we should also notice and discuss? Well, I would certainly reiterate what David is saying about letting leaders off the hook, because this simplistic case is as if they're, all you have to do is bring people in the door, and you're going to automatically get these benefits. Um, and that is absolutely not the case. So it's misleading in that sense. And, um, you know, we'd much rather have the message be out there, be what it is that that leaders need to be um, doing in order to be able to reap any kind of benefit from the diversity that they might bring in the door. So that, so that is certainly the first thing. 
I think the second thing is that, especially when the, um, you know, when the outcome that people are talking about is something financial, it put, puts people's heads around the kind of economic benefits of, um, of their human capital. And of course, there are economic benefits, but it diverts attention away from, um, you know, all the things that really need to, that leaders really need to be ta- paying attention to, like what's the quality of experience that people have in the organization. It's not all about just making money. And we know from research that, you know, when people have their heads around that the economics of a situation, they sort of leave by the wayside anything that has to do with values. Uh, and so it, 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 this, this uh, business case sort of divorces any notion of, of, of values from anything that organizations are doing. So I would say those, those might be two of the main, main problems. Is there a risk here as well that if we push the business case for diversity and companies don't see it? Because as we said, it's difficult to achieve these uh, all the benefits of diversity. You need to lead appropriately. And even, even then, you may not have the financial performance. So is there a risk that if we focus too much on the business case, companies then say, well, I can't find it, and, and they, they cease their commitment to diversity? I think that's a risk. Um, I also think the other risk that we've seen is a ghettoization of diversity. So, you know, we can look at organizations and see that oftentimes where they are most diverse, it's where they think they have to interact with, quote unquote, diverse communities. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, in my consulting practice, um, I can remember many times people saying, I, I get it for sales, but I don't see why we have to worry about it for finance and technology and these other parts of the organization. Um, because we see it as a mirroring phenomenon, right? If you walk into a bank, you see people who look like you, you will make your deposit. You don't care uh, about who's actually counting the money, sorting the money, all those other things that are happening out of the view of customers. Um, and, and, and you know, we can just look at the demographics of organizations and where you find more diversity, in particular with regard to race in today's context, and it often maps that theory right? And we have to mirror the community where the community meets us. Let's turn back to this, this notion of letting leaders off the hook. And if we do not let leaders off the hook, if we say we are counting on you to not only increase the diversity in your ranks, but to create an environment that um, is one in which all sorts of people can flourish and contribute what is it that leaders should be thinking about? What is it that they should be doing? Uh, so they don't just think, well, I've, I've hired these people, you know, ta-da, it's going to lead to f- better financial performance. I think the way I would describe what really needs to happen inside organizations to really, you know, reach the goals that I think 
many companies actually have, which is to advance structural equality and to get rid of bias and all of that. These are issues that are in the culture of the organization. In a way, the bad news is it's like it's not that easy to change the culture of an organization, but that's exactly what needs to happen if um, if we're going to really see changes in the kinds of experiences that people have in organizations, if we're going to see any kind of increases in equity or, or equality. To change an organization, an organizational culture is really something, in my experience, I, I mean, I know there's a lot of grassroots efforts and all kinds of things like that, but um, but really it's it's got to be a top-down initiative. So I think that the leadership of the organization has to actually understand what it what their culture is and that it needs to change. And uh, I think the first thing that needs to happen is that they need to change. So they actually need to be the change. They need to enact the change that they want to see in the organization. That's a, that's a pretty big ask. And, you know, I think the question is, are leaders up for it? Are they, are they, do they really want to undertake that? But, you know, it's the bottom line. It's a, it's a culture change. It's a, it's a cultural problem. And, and leaders are responsible for the culture of their organization. Yes. Yeah, so I did my first study of race relations and, and leadership at the intersection of race relations, leadership, organization, and performance in 1982. And that's, those themes have been at the core of my work since then, which gives your audience a sense of how old I am. And uh, when I'm in quick conversations with CEOs, I basically tell them that uh, now that I'm president, I don't have time to give a lot of expensive talks. So I'll just boil it down to three things. Leadership, relationships, and alignment. Leadership, relationships, and alignment. Right. Um, Are we applying our, our leadership to this topic in the same way that we would apply it to any other topic? any other issue in our organizations that we think is important. Mm -hmm. Relationships is um, most leaders in predominantly white organizations don't have high quality, authentic relationships with people who are different from them. And if we don't work on creating those high quality kinds of relationships where we can talk about the things that once we get beyond just our playbook for diversity are still getting in the way we will make progress. In alignment, it relates to the kinds of cultural things that I think Robin was describing, which is we discover continuously that even though organizations make protestations to wanting more diversity, they actually have policies and practices that actively work against that happening. And some of them are seen as sacred cows. And it can be as simple as what are the criteria for employment? Um, So I did work with an insurance company that uh, a criteria for getting hired was your credit score. Well, we know that people in the black community have lower credit scores because they have less family wealth. Those credit scores were never checked after you were employed. You could be there 20 years, your credit could be in the basement. 
and it didn't matter. But for entry, that mattered. Right. Right. Great example. And 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 organizations, you know, similarly, we did a study at another financial services firm. And the moment that created the 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 study that the, what created the moment where they asked us to come in was the top performer in sales was a woman, but their algorithm for how to pay her didn't put her at the top of the pay scale. And they were so convinced in the scientific validity of how they had done. But what they discovered was they were rewarding behaviors that were very typical male. Mm. Right. And the ways in which the most successful women in their organization were succeeding violated some of those assumptions. Like they spent more time with clients and had less cold calls. So what today is considered good service, they were doing, and we did this back in the 1990s, right? They were already doing, and that's about alignment. Are, are we willing to change those things inside our organizations that create a culture of what's valued that devalues other ways of doing the work? Um, and so my view is it's about leadership, relationships, and alignment. So what do you say when you know, CEOs, board members, whoever it is, advocates are, are listening to this conversation and they hear, don't make the business case. The business case is problematic. And then they come back to you and say, hey, but the business case moves the needle. At least the business case makes my colleagues more committed, more interested in increasing diversity in our ranks. What would you say instead? If not the business case, then what? I would take a step back and, and suggest that it's not clear to me that the business case is advancing anything. So this, this hypothetical person who says, well, what am I supposed to say? All I have is this business case. And I've heard people say this. I don't actually think the business case is that compelling to the people who are the ones who need to, who are in the decision-making, you know, position. I don't actually think it's advancing anything. So, uh, you know, this, I think it's kind of a fantasy that the business case has been so important. I don't see much movement. A lot of times I get asked this question, you know, what, what are the best companies doing? At, you know, first of all, as if it's a kind of off the shelf technical solution that once you know what that solution is, you can just apply it. It's not that kind of thing. It's much more difficult than that. But, um, you know, my answer is I don't actually know any companies that are doing a great job with this, not big companies, not, you know, companies that are, 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 are well-known. I'm sure there are smaller companies that are doing some interesting things. But I don't see any companies that are really, you know, quote-unquote, moving the needle. So that's my first kind of reaction to the, what do I, oh, if I don't have the business case, what do I have? Well, like, let's just give up this idea that the business case has been all that effective in the first place. Because if it were so effective, we would see companies making dramatic differences in there. If, if they believed it and if it were true, we would expect companies to get on board and do this. And, and what you're arguing is, well, they're not. Yeah. And I, I think the other thing is that, um, <laughs> you know, in a funny kind of way, 
these these sacred cows that that David was referring to, I think that actually, you know, a lot of times the, these companies and the leadership of organizations, they're more invested in maintaining the sacred cows, quite frankly, than they are in increasing their financial performance. <laughs> I sometimes think that if you actually gave them evidence that if they gave up some of these things, they would figure out ways not to believe it. So there's a very strong investment in, the, in keeping things the way, th- the way they are. And part of that is, I think, because, these, because those people who are running companies, they have actually been successful under the conditions that exist culturally in their organizations. Very hard for them to imagine changing those things. Right, they were successful under these conditions, so everybody should be successful under these conditions. It's just very hard for them to see what needs to change, and they're very invested in holding on to those elements of the culture. In fact, it's it's almost like tied to their own value. If that's how they became successful, then you know that's really important, and we can't let that go. Uh, David, turning to you, what else? I think you wanted to also comment on the. The business case. If not the business case, what is the argument advocates for greater diversity should be making? So, you know, the way I've approached this whole business case question, um, and and more than twenty years ago, um, um, when companies would ask me to come in and 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 help them make their business case, I would say to them, I can't make the business case for you. That every company, organization, needs to make their case for why diversity is important here. And if you really dig into it, uh, it will take you well beyond simply dollars and cents. Um, It will take you into uh, who's your workforce, your available workforce. It will take you into questions of, you know, uh, how do you create a culture of innovation? Uh, It will also take you into questions of what's your role in your community. Um, And so, you know, my sort of reaction you know, to to and to this business case notion is this simplified idea. But I do think that organizations and organizational leaders do need to create a narrative for why this is important and beneficial for this organization and why what Robin described as the top-down approach is in the interests of the organization and what it stands for. And so it's not a business case. It's the Wharton case for diversity. It's the UPS case for diversity. Uh, It's the Twitter case for diversity, but it's not, you know, a generic business case for diversity because leaders do need to articulate that because we do have to change the practices that are down below and let people know why it's in our benefit to let go of these sacred cows. Um, and, um, you know, that, that's, that's what I think is the practical implication 
for change and leader behavior. And I, I think it really, it has to be an affirmative vision. It has to be something that people are excited about. That's something attractive. That's a, it's an approach kind of a vision as opposed to avoidance, right? People are not very energized by like, we can't do this anymore. We need to get rid of discrimination or, you know, and those things may be true, but that's not what motivates people. It has to be something, you know, really heartfelt that the leadership is really passionate about and is able to articulate really a positive vision that people can get their, you know, get their heads around. Great. Well, thank you both. I think, you you know, your comments have really underscored the importance of diversity, the complexity here, that it is not, you know, a, a, a simple equation and and really tremendous important of, importance of leadership for diversity and, and leadership and a vision that is true to the company and the organization, not off the shelf. So I, I think these are you know, super important lessons. Uh, and thank you. Thank you so much for recording this and, and being with us today. Oh, thanks, Catherine. Yeah, thank you, Catherine. It's um, been great. Dollars and Change is brought to you by the Wharton Social Impact Initiative. To learn more, visit us at socialimpact.wharton.upenn.edu.